Are you ready for the Unleashed Tour, where shamelessness, sexiness, and laughter collide in a hilarious orgy of fun, discovery, and sex edutainment? Embark on a captivating nationwide journey with the Shameless Sex Podcast and an electrifying ensemble of sex educators and sex-positive entertainers as they bring you an unforgettably titillating live experience. Be a part of mesmerizing, entertaining, boundary-pushing acts, shameless sex style. Ever heard of the Slurpee stick shift? Want to learn how to bury your face in her? How about some dirty talk improv or brat taming 101? Hmm. Get ready for nonstop laughter as our charismatic hosts and entertainers weave humor into the fabric of this liberating celebration of sexual diversity and freedom. Engage in interactive segments, Q&A sessions, and a chance to connect with like-minded individuals in an inclusive and empowering environment. Listen up, Portland, Chicago, Seattle, we're coming to you. For more information and to get your tickets right now, go to shamelesssex.com and be part of a night that will be fun, educational, sexy, hilarious, and shamelessly unforgettable. Seats are filling up fast, so don't miss out on the most unforgettable show of the year. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Shout out to all those poly triads, kinky quads, and anarchist unicorns. This is Billy Presida, and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Hey everyone, how you doing? Welcome to the show. I am your host, a chubbier embodied dysmorphic version of Billy Presida. Uh, if you are new to the program, normally on this show, I talk to women I've hooked up with about sex and dating and love. However, this week's guest is not one of my former flames. No, a uh, very special guest. I've been waiting to have her on the podcast for years, literally. Uh, Diana Adams, everybody, is on the show. Diana Adams is a uh, poly rights activist and a uh, lawyer extraordinaire. And I'm, re- I'm really excited to share her with you. But first, got some show dates for you, people. Show dates. Uh, tomorrow, January 5th, I will be at New York Comedy Club on the 8.30 p.m. show. And on the 10.30 p.m. show, I will be roast battling former guest of the podcast, Alex Engelbert. You can get $5 tickets to that uh, when you use the promo code Billy at NewYorkComedyClub.com. We are going to hurl problematic insults at each other. It should be should be quite fun. I'm going to try not to cry afterwards. Then Friday, January 6th, uh, I'm at Dangerfields on the 1030 show. Saturday, January 7th, no comedy show, but I am hosting a speed dating event with OnSpeedDating.com. I'll be running an event for singles between the ages of 25 and 45. If you want to get $5 off your ticket, use the promo code Billy5 at OnSpeedDating.com. And for more information on those shows and more, head on over to manhorpod.com slash comedy. I know I'm throwing a lot of URLs at you, but uh, while you're over at manhorpod.com, sign up for the mailing list, people. That's how, uh, that's how you stay up to date with all your latest Man Whore podcast news. Last minute uh, today of the day that I'm recording this Monday, you know, I announced, hey, I'm live streaming a bonus episode. Watch it now or forever hold your peace. And you wouldn't have gotten that information if you weren't on the mailing list or like the Man Whore podcast on Facebook. I don't tell you to like and follow these things for no reason. It's because there's ac- I actually put out information there 
that you may uh, be interested in. I would go straight to Diana, but I really want to read these emails. Uh, I got I got a couple emails I want to read from some listeners. Uh, I thought were were quite good. Got one from Madeline. Hey, hey, Maddie. She uh, she writes. Hey, uh, heard your comment on a recent episode. Might I suggest not roofing yourself? Let me let me contextualize this for anyone who doesn't know what she's talking about. I think I've referenced at least uh, a couple times that Paige and I have a rape fantasy where she's raping me, but we want to do it like in my sleep, and we want to set it up so that I couldn't wake up in the middle. Uh, like nobody wants to wake up in the middle of their rape and ruin it, you know. So like we were we were like, how could we make it so I genuinely won't wake up when you sneak into my apartment and do things to me? With my consent. And we thought, okay, what if I roofie myself and then text you before I let myself pass out in the bed? But then we got to thinking like, okay, but where does one buy roofies? Like, I don't know. You can't text your drug dealer that question, right? That's a... So so when... I'm assuming I've talked about this on a recent episode because Madeline is saying she heard it. Uh, So Madeline, let's just say she's got an expertise in the field of professional drugs uh she says she continues in the email roofie can mean a lot of different things some i've seen send people to intensive care if you do consult and buy from someone you trust who really knows their party drugs and consider dosing before the experience to understand what might happen if you're pretty inexperienced with synthetic drugs this could end up way more intense than you're looking for drug wise not sexually might I suggest an edible as a safer and possibly more enjoyable alternative? A potent cookie with an indica, in parentheses downer, strain will likely put you to sleep within a couple hours and at least make you reluctant to be mobile. You'll feel like you can't move, but you totally can if you need to. With this, you're eliminating scary chemicals. You'll remember everything and be pretty giddy about it all, but you'll feel too quote-unquote heavy to participate much. I've really enjoyed this on occasion. Uh, I think it creates the fun, quote unquote, taking advantage of feeling that you're looking for. Good luck. Maddie, holy shit, that's a brilliant idea. That is such a good idea. That's way better than the idea um, a comedian at an open mic shouted out at me the other day. He's like, hey, what about Vicodin? (laughs) Like, I don't know. I just want to knock myself out and let my girlfriend put things in my bomb. Why is this so difficult? Um, but the weed, the weed thing I think is brilliant. I even like it better if I'm a little cognizant, but like you described heavy, too heavy to participate. That sounds hot that I want to do. Got another email from, uh, from, we're just going to call her Jay. She asked me not to use her name. So she says, uh, Hey Billy, I've been listening to your podcast for like six months now. Uh, and I just wanted to let you know how much I really love listening to your show every week. I'm an 18-year-old girl who's only had one sexual partner, but I still consider myself to be a very sex-positive person. I've learned so much from your podcast. It's helped me to feel more proud and open with myself about sexuality. I'm the only girl in my group of friends who owns a vibrator and pays for porn. Although recently, I am proud to say, I persuaded one of my friends to buy an ex-confessions video, which, by the way, is an amazing porn company. 
I got to the point a couple months ago where watching people fuck on Pornhub just wasn't sexy anymore. And as you know, it's often hard to find porn on tube sites that isn't degrading to women. If you have any listeners that want to pay for porn that's feminist, ethical, and female-directed, they should look into Ex-Confessions and Erica Lust. I'm not sure if you've mentioned them before on your podcast, but I would highly recommend their stuff. Erica Lust, uh, that's spelled E-R-I-K-A, Lust, is a fucking badass porn director, and she even has a TED Talk about porn. That's the way she used the punctuation. I went... I would never otherwise deliver a sentence in that fashion. Um, anyway, thanks for being awesome and have a happy new year, Jay. Well, I have never mentioned ex-confessions uh, nor Erica Lust on the show, but hey, now I have. People, go check it out. Ex-confessions, Erica Lust, pay for your porn. If an 18-year-old can pay for her porn, either through her money or mommy's credit card, whichever, you can throw down some money towards content creators you appreciate as well. And uh, and again, as for someone who's only had one sexual partner and feels sex positive, yes, yes, I want to address that. You do not have to be a slut to be sex positive. You can be you can be a virgin and sex positive. You can be monogamous and sex positive. Sex positive just means you think people should do what they want to fucking do in the in the privacy of their own apartment with however many fucking people of whatever genitalia they want to do it with, with whom they want to do. That's better. Uh, <laughs> and I love that not only do you pay for your porn, but you convince another friend roughly your age to pay for porn. That's fucking awesome. That is great. Go you. I reached out to Erica Lusta to see where she's at. Hey, maybe have her on the podcast. Uh, sadly, it turns out she lives in Spain. España. She will not be doing the show anytime soon. So, uh, so thank you for those emails, people. And if you want to send me an email with your comments or your questions or, hey, your booby pictures, you can uh, send me an email at manwhorepod at gmail.com. And now for Diana Adams, our guest this week. Oh, my gosh. I've been talking for arguably too long. Diana Adams is a just a badass individual. You may have heard her on the Savage Lovecast several times. That's where I first uh, became aware of her. I'm just going to read this from her website so that I don't uh, miss word what they do there. But uh, Diana Adams Law and Mediation is a boutique law firm practicing family law by providing support for positive beginnings and endings of all types of family relationships. We provide services for intentional family formation, including creative prenuptial agreements, assisted reproduction, adoptions, co-parenting agreements, and non-traditional family arrangements. Uh, they often work with clients in the lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, and queer communities, uh, as well as people in the polyamory and kink worlds. And I think that's fucking awesome. And we're going to talk about plenty of that in a bit. Uh, I was so excited to talk about her. Again, so this is an episode. It's very poly-heavy. A lot of polyamory talk. A lot of non-monogamy talk. A lot of legal talk, too. So uh, let's just go ahead. I'm going to shut my face and get and let Diana do the talking. I'm used to breastfeeding, so I'm going to use a breastfeeding pillow. Breastfeeding wow. technique for podcasting? technique for podcasting. I like that. Yeah. I can dig it. Um, and then is there do I, Diana Adams Esquire? Sure. When you got the degree, did part of you go like, now I get to be an Esquire? Was that? That was nice. Is that a nice thing? That I was nice. <laughs> I would have preferred doctor. 
um, or just boss, you know, but Esquire is pretty close. Boss Diana Adams? Boss Diana Adams. Why can't that be on a degree? I, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> if I could get that degree, I would, but I've been working on it informally. Awesome. Well, uh, Diana, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, after all this time, uh, finally got you on. I'm glad to um, be here. Diana Adams is a, uh, is a lawyer and a poly advocate, and you do mostly family law, but like with poly and queer families, right? Yes, I do um, a variety of different kinds of uh, family law practice um, and family mediation practice. I avoid litigation uh, whenever possible um, with people who are polyamorous as well as people who are in multi-parent co-parenting situations, which could be a gay couple co-parenting with a lesbian couple or with a single uh, friend. Um, I also do you know, single parents by choice, uh, other kinds of platonic co-parenting between two friends and work with a lot of same-sex couples and queer families, uh, as well as doing the more straight family law. Um, but when I do that, I also inflect it with those values of family being able to be something that you can create in your own way. So when I do a prenup, even for a straight couple, I'm trying to shy away from that traditional model of this being an adversarial document and more into the realm of these kinds of conversations about sex and about money are incredibly intimate. And rather than shy away from them or have them be in the framework of a litigious attorney, they can also be a means of building intimacy and um, uh, feeling an element of risk and uh, and deeper vulnerability in your relationship by talking openly about things like what monogamy means to you and what money means to you, which I think every couple needs to do. Yeah. I like that prenup by design, just like in like in poly kind of just, you know, relationship by design. You do it however you want to design that relationship or divorce or whatever it is. That's pretty right. that's cool. Wait, so now same sex marriage is legal in New York, so we're done in, in the States, so we're done, right? We're we are, are we so finished? not done. Because marching is getting tired. I'm so yeah, I know. exhausted. Our arms are getting tired <laughs> holding the banners, but we're not done. Um because We've now achieved same-sex marriage, but where we're left are with issues of same-sex parenting. Mm -hmm. And one of the big challenges is that there's this incredible pushback and backlash um, from the religious right on same-sex marriage. And so I'd say the the top issues they're pushing back on are against uh, transgender people Mm -hmm. who already face so many obstacles in society. They don't need, you know, legislation about whether they can go to the bathroom. Um, but we're seeing that kind of pushback. We're also seeing pushback uh, against parenting by same-sex people. Mm. And then thirdly, non-traditional family structures. So I'm at the nexus of all of those things, working with yeah. those kinds of clients. Um, and in terms of same-sex parenting, it still is really complicated state by state to figure out whether you're a legal parent and what the, what the status is, the means to achieve that. And so that makes things very cumbersome for clients. You they got to be like, I want to move to Oregon, but they have these weird laws. I can't do it. You know, we can't raise our kid there. Or right. Whatever. And, and very few people would have the means if you're a, a same sex couple in New York and you establish your legal parenting pr- status here, which might be if you're a female same-sex couple, for instance, a second parent adoption, which would mean that the non-biological mother gets her legal parenting status established. So then if we go elsewhere in the country, um, you might need to think about what's going on in different places. So the good news is that people, there, there is a way to achieve these kinds of parenting statuses, and people just need to be very familiar with um, 
going to get the basic legal documents done. Adoption is a thing that will really help everywhere. So second parent adoption, that will help. In New York State, if you're married at the time of a birth, you can have your name right on the birth certificate, even mm-hmm. if you're a female same-sex partner. So even if you're not biologically attached even to the Even if you're not kid. biologically, if you're married to the mom, you can benefit from this old-fashioned do they parentage like do, presumption. So do, that would be like, if 50 years ago, my white husband and I went into the hospital and I had a, a black or Chinese baby, mm-hmm. they would just be like, we don't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> you're married to her, so you yeah. have the marital presumption that you're super the dad. recessive genes. Super, That's... super <laughs> recessive genes. Yes, um, and so lesbians benefit from that. So, do they do like an asterisk or anything to acknowledge that someone's not biologically related to the kid on a birth they certificate? They don't. They don't. Do you think there should be a little bit? Yeah, I, that could be useful. That could be very useful. Yeah. Um, but now, interestingly, a birth certificate is no longer a means <clears throat> of that kind of biological connection. Mm. We're seeing some complexity with this, though. So. In that very basic female same-sex couple, if they get married in New York and they have the baby, that, that non-biological mom is the mom in New York. But in order to have her parentage respected in other states, she needs to get a second-parent adoption. All needs right. to. However, then for anything that's slightly more complicated, we we don't have a means of, of establishing that. So, for example, sometimes there's an involved um, – a person who would be a sperm donor except he's not relinquishing his rights as a sperm donor. So mm-hmm. if you have that – the, the donor dad person who's helping yeah. out a lesbian couple and there's also a wife, a non-biological mom, there isn't really a means for establishing a three-parent family. And by means you mean like a legal standard or something. Right. We right. Don't, we, that's, so when, once you get to the three parents, then it gets much more complicated. Or even the way that sperm donors are treated state by state differs. Whether surrogacy is allowed state by state What's is the totally best state different. to be a sperm donor? Oh man, that's a difficult question. But I where, would say, where do I have the most rights as a sperm donor? California, California, um, and Massachusetts also tends to be progressive. You would imagine that New York would be, but we actually are very influenced by the Catholic lobby mm. and have very old-fashioned family law. We were the last state in the union to have no-fault divorce. Um, without no-fault divorce, what is no-fault divorce again? So no-fault divorce means basically we're getting divorced. We're right. not asking permission from the state. We're saying. Irreconcilable differences. We don't need to give you a reason. But when you need to have fault, like grounds, that's you asking this sort of paternalistic daddy state, like, please, I want to get divorced. And the court will say, mm, you don't have a good reason, so you need to stay married. That, that literally would happen. That, they can't do that anymore, right? They can't they do can that like, anymore. You guys got to stay married? That's there, fucked there up. There can still be litigation if the other person sure. contests it and is like, there aren't irreconcilable differences. We're doing great. We're everything's doing great. fine. They're like that meme me with the dog with me. the fire around. It's like, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. fine. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so we were the last with that and um, we don't necessarily uh, guarantee that we'll respect sperm donor agreements. In some ways, this can be a bit challenging because you have two aspects. You have... Okay, we made a sperm donor agreement saying, you know, this man is only a donor. He's not going to be a father to the child. But then if you behave differently from the piece of paper and he suddenly is picking the kid up from school and the kid's calling him dad and he's with him every every Tuesday and every Saturday um, and acting like a dad in many ways and establishing a parental relationship, New York will go with your behavior over the piece of paper. Oh, okay. But in is there like states, an uncle clause where it's like he's not father rights, but he's got like uncle rights? We we call that an avuncular relationship. An avuncular relationship. Avuncular sounds like it means like you got a skin condition, but yeah. actually it just means a, like an uncle. Okay. But I like the term spunkle. <laughs> spunkle. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. So spunkle. <laughs> You're not gonna see it in a legal contract, but uh, but there should be. There should be. Yeah. So so you know that kind of thing is you don't have any legal rights. You can't decide. I want the child to be raised Jewish or go to this kind of school or imp- have an input on when they get braces. Yeah. 
um, or have a right to visitation or say you can't move as the mom or something. But you know, you, you have a relationship that, that the moms could mm-hmm. say, come to the kid's birthday party because you're a special uncle. Um, some lawyers would even say just to be cautious about litigation, don't even allow that kind of relationship. Uh, I think that we need to acknowledge that people can, can build families in their own ways and that people sometimes do feel a special connection, uh, whether it's a gay couple, um, or a heterosexual couple who has difficulty having children and uses an egg donor and a surrogate, they sometimes have a special relationship um, yeah. with that person, just as somebody might, whether they're a single mom by choice or a, a couple that needs a sperm donor, you know, then they may sometimes have a special relationship with that donor. What made you want to get into this type of law specifically? Well, I am a queer person and a polyamorous person Mm -hmm. and i was doing family law before this in more of a straight context working in legal services for people in poverty and handling a whole gamut of cases but then just because i was in this community people were asking me and particularly asking me about polyamorous issues because there really was nobody doing this uh 10 years ago and you were like can everyone stop asking me for legal advice for free all the time Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's it's like, like, I, I can't do that. But, um, but also it would be, you know, we need somebody to come argue this case in court. Um, mm-hmm. And then I would go and argue the case in court and we need somebody else to come to a different case. And there just wasn't anybody else who um, had as much experience with polyamory because I happened to be already a polyamorous activist and a family law attorney. Because someone's got to explain to the old guy on the bench, like what that is. He's like, poly what now? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And during that time of the big sex addiction craze, when the term sex addiction was way overused and it would be, you know, David Duchovny or, or somebody, Tiger Woods is, yeah. is like caught with a, uh, an affair and they're like, Oh, sorry, I'm a sex addict. Sort of like saying like, you know, I, I'm an alcoholic and I'm going to go to a 30 day program and then I'll be fine. Yeah. Rather than acknowledging that maybe they were just having non-normative sex, mm-hmm. right? Or that they weren't monogamous or something. People actually preferred to Or that they were just addicts. a shitbag. <laughs> or that they were just a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Right? Just that, that I was just a jerk to my wife. That's all. Um, so anyway, that term was being used a lot and I think being applied to people who were polyamorous mm-hmm. or kinky or who were um, performing in adult films, you know. Uh, people who weren't necessarily addicted to anything, meaning that they weren't, it wasn't that they were actually following the definition of sex addiction, uh, which is used now, which is that you are trying to stop, you can't stop, you're causing harm to yourself and to others, and you have a compulsion. Mm-hmm. You know, just like if somebody had a drug addiction, um, like I, I want to stop doing heroin, it's ruining my life, and I can't stop, that's an addict. Um, somebody who likes to get spanked and is having absolutely no problems in her life with it is yeah. not an addict, you know, but. For a time, I was seeing a huge number of child custody cases in divorce. They try to use kink as a means of like, well, she likes all this crazy kinky shit, so she's not a good mother. Right, right. And so what it would be would be somebody's either kinky or they're polyamorous or both. Um, and their ex, maybe they're leaving their ex, uh, you know, and the ex is really angry and is like, you're ruining my life by leaving our marriage and so I'm going to ruin yours and would say, you know, she's yeah. a sex addict. I had a case in which... <coughs> There was a client who actually worked in a daycare and um, left her husband and wanted to pursue a polyamorous and kinky lifestyle. And he took pictures of her, private pictures from her computer of her in bondage and mailed it out to the kids in the parents of the kids in her class oh. and the other teachers in the school where she worked. And I've had a number of cases where there's been harassment like that, where especially if somebody is a teacher or something or working with children. Something like that would be now covered under like um, uh, revenge porn law, right? 
yeah, in, it, in the states that have it. It may be, yeah. And um, what I actually used at the time in cases like that, and for that specific case, I use um, domestic violence protections because in New York State, um, an employer, which needs is where to you provide, practice, right? I, I have practiced quite okay, a bit in domestic violence survivor um, support, right. and an employer needs to provide a safe harbor and not allow a domestic violence offender to show up at, show up at work or you know if if they send something to the office you can say we're not going to open anything from this person and that's a way that an employer can support somebody in a domestic violence situation and in this situation this person was saying i'm going to ruin your life and was harassing mm-hmm. her um and i argued that was a form of domestic violence we might now use revenge porn laws, but I think before revenge porn, I used domestic violence because that was something that was an established uh, part of our law. Um, but I argue, I've argued many, many cases and done quite well because what I do is I separate out, um, okay, this person's behavior is non-normative. Hmm. Is that associated with any form of mental illness or is this at all related to their parenting judgment? No, because the slippery slope that would happen would be you know, you have the judge would be saying and the opposing attorney might be saying you have a kind of sex that I cannot imagine. Mm. And so if you would have sex that I can't imagine, maybe you would do other things that I can't imagine, like showing porn to your children or having sex in front of your kids mm-hmm. or just generally having bad judgment, you know, um, and I would try to separate out that slippery slope. Uh, you know, that this that's maybe a stereotype mm. and a judgment just because this person's sex life is different. This is within the realm of normal, healthy adult sexuality and has nothing to do with their parenting judgment. So many people, they, they hear things that they don't understand. Like when they can't put themselves in that scenario, they automatically go, well, that's like, uh, out, like I, it can't possibly exist. When I explain to people like non-monogamy, they were like, well, I could never do it. I'm like, no one asked you to. Right. Like, you don't right. have to understand it. You just have to accept it's a thing that people are going to do. And just I could never be a alone. race car driver. I'd have an anxiety attack every day, but I don't need to do that. That's fine. I don't understand you know? furries. Okay. I don't understand I don't spending understand that much that. money on a costume, but hey, you do you, boo boo. Just, you know, don't make me put it on. That's all. I feel the same way about sports fans. I don't understand watching a small box and people on a tiny screen <laughs> running around. You know, I got to say. And I don't understand people who don't understand that right i'm like how do you you not enjoy watching grown rapists hit each other repeatedly in the head i mean that's isn't that kind of the dream yeah it's the closest thing to social justice you might get with some of these guys i like that that. (laughs) good spin i'll enjoy it more thank you yeah i I would also like is if they made a rule change where uh instead of the names on the back of their jerseys it just said their crimes Ooh, nice right wouldn't that be nice that would be nice (laughs) i think i'd like to just go out there with a bat you know yeah yeah (laughs) Rockin'. Um, though I think the first time I became aware of you, well, the first time I actively became aware of you was when there was this story going around uh, years ago with this thruple that got married in Massachusetts, right? It was Massachusetts? Yes. Right. And that uh, you were involved in that. But then I realized, I, re- I recognized the name because I've heard you on Savage Love a bunch of times. Right. And right. I was like, oh, yeah, awesome. Um, but the, the thruple. So how did that work? You got, you basically, you essentially had helped three women get married, right? So that was a case actually in which I was more being interviewed about the larger context, but I didn't oh, okay, specifically okay. work too much with them. Um, but basically, they were having a commitment ceremony. And at this point, you can't actually get married between three people. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like many same-sex couples years ago were um, having their own kinds of commitment ceremonies, you know, doing things that looked very much like a wedding um, and either calling them a wedding or a commitment ceremony, even if they couldn't go and sign a piece of paper at City Hall. Mm. Having that emotional covenant of, 
what a wedding really traditionally is, is getting up in front of your community and saying, we're making these vows to each other and hold us to these vows and let's celebrate it. Um, so there are polyamorous people who are having those kinds of celebrations and I tend to help them. And so I help them as well as non-monogamous couples, um, to come up with their own vows um, and think about what are we actually vowing to? Because I think that we have the right and the responsibility to actually define what we mean by marriage if we're getting into it. Um, And I think for far too long, we've just accepted marriage the way that it's occurring in the legal code with over a thousand different rights and responsibilities that people don't have any idea about when they're signing on to marriage. I just this is the only way that. What you are some have of those obscure ones? Because you know, when when same sex marriage was this was the huge fight, uh, and I would hear about like yes, yeah, state to state there was a thing, but they don't have the federal protection. I'm like, yeah, I get there's tax stuff, visiting in the hospital, and like kid things, and then I'm like, what else? Right, right. Do you get? Like, there, yeah, there's there's a lot of them. The most important piece of what marriage means is that you basically become a social welfare state of two. Mm. That the government does not want to have to provide for if somebody is is uh, impoverished, um, if a single mother would would be needing help paying for her children, and so they want the two of you to combine and pool your assets. So that means if one of you gets into trouble, and you have you know if one of if one spouse goes off and gets a million dollars in debt in Vegas or making bad financial deals, and the other spouse had no idea of it. Their other spouse yeah, yeah. is still going to have to pay for that. And similarly, if the other one was going out and making a lot of money or buying properties, the other one's going to going to benefit from that. So you basically are sharing your finances and becoming one financial unit. And that's pretty basic. Many people know that about marriage, but I was actually astonished that in the same-sex marriage fight, many people would be so excited about the political meaning that you'd be seeing yeah. like surgeons and broke artists getting married and combining their financial portfolios and having no idea that's what they were doing. You know, they had no idea that if they're not creating a prenup that, you know, you just became one financial entity. Whoops. Um, <laughs> you make negative amount per year. You make half a million. This is a big impact for both of you. Um, and so I think people really misunderstand that. The other piece uh, that was so significant with the federal benefits for people is immigration, that you can uh-huh. bring in your spouse. You can bring in a spouse and, and get immigration uh, benefits that they can become an American um, through marriage. Something else is is health insurance. You can get health insurance often as a domestic partner, but still have to pay high taxes on it. It was so crazy. People were bugging out saying like, well, gay people are going to start marrying dudes to help get them uh, across the border or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but like so straight could be straight people could do that. Straight and they do do that, do that all, all the, the time. time. Yeah. I have a buddy who like was in one of those situations for a little while, which by the way, he, he did. I was like, how much are you going to pay? He's like nothing. I was like, oh, you're an idiot. Like. Get 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 some money out of this, dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's an incredibly dangerous thing to do. Yeah, legally, yeah, because it's pe- insanely legal. But, but people but, do it. Yeah. And so there was all this critique that maybe gay people are going to be gaming the system to try to get the benefits of marriage. But the, that's what straight people do. Yeah, when you set up they, a system where <laughs> you can't get immigration, you can't get the health insurance, you can't get the tax benefits, etc. Unless you get married, then people are going to get married for that reason. I mean, they're, they're worried the queers are going to do it because, like, well, we know we do it, so we don't want you to do it too. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, how many of us know people who were dating but then got married because they needed it for the health insurance or it was mm. make things easier? Um, which is not a great reason to get married. It's just like people in New York move in together because one of them, you know, lost their rent controlled apartment and they can't afford another apartment right. in the neighborhood they want to live in. So they move in together. That is not the reason to combine a life, <laughs> you know? Um, and I see a lot of those people later in family mediation when, you know, it's a slippery slope of like, well, we might as well move in together because it's cheaper. And well, we might as well get married because I could get your health insurance. And, um, 
Not we might really. as well get divorced because I can't stand you. Right, That's right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What uh, so things like the the thruple, uh ceremony or arrangement or other polyamorous or non like um, alternative family model arrangements? What are some factors that would go into that like paperwork wise? Because I'm assuming, and I might be wrong with like say that thruple in Massachusetts that like two of them got legally married to each other and then maybe some other things happened. So what are some factors that would determine like okay who's going to technically get married to whom and uh, how are we going to arrange this? What are some like factors? Right. Like so, if someone's got like the sweet health insurance, maybe they're definitely going to be involved in the legal part of it, right? Right. So when um, a triad comes to me or a quad um, and they want to figure out, okay, what are we doing? We're forming a family. I'll talk to them about what their priorities are. You know, what are you, what are you hoping to achieve? Does somebody need immigration? Does somebody need health insurance? Is one of you going to be financially dependent on the other? Um, and then with that, uh, you're going to buy a property together in what shares? How are you going to contribute to your household finances if you're all living together? Um, so once we establish that, um, just as I do with a couple, but with, you know, extra complexity, if there's more people, then we talk about what legal tools can we use to kind of creatively cobble together as much stability legally as we can get, mm-hmm. because we can't just say, okay, the three of you get married or the three of you get domestic partnership. Right. So one of the questions would be, um, are any two people going to get married? Because if it's a three-person family unit, sometimes people don't want to get married. And in fact, I've divorced perfectly happy couples because they're now in a triad and they didn't want the third person to feel left out. So yeah. in that situation, maybe a divorce is the best thing for them. Um, and a divorce that brings people together. A divorce that brings people thought? together. Who would have thought? Yeah, happy divorce. Um, <laughs> happy divorce. Yeah. And um, in other situations, we might decide, okay – this person needs their immigration status. So they need to marry one of these two people. Who does, you know, whom does it make sense for them to marry? If one person has most, the most money in that three person unit, do we want the person who needs immigration status to marry the person with the most money? Or is that going to leave the third person out in the cold in terms of financial? Is it going to make it seem like, okay, this person's going to get the benefits of this, of the retirement account yeah. and the third person gets nothing? That may not feel fair. So we'll talk about those kinds of factors, which are both legal and also emotional, how people feel about this. Um, some people. You got to play part counselor. Like yes. couples counselor. I definitely take on the role of counselor at law. That yeah. aspect of being a lawyer is a big part of my job. And I'm a, and I'm a trained family mediator. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a, 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 something I really enjoy, actually, is helping people get really clear about what it is they want and how they can create that. So, um, you know, we may decide that it makes sense to get married for practical reasons for two people. And some people are able to think about marriage as a practical tool and not get too hung up on the emotions. But we talk through that because for some people it might feel really bad for that third person, for two of them to get married Mm. and that upset is not worth it. You know? Um, So we'll talk through that and how would that really feel? And let's imagine we're there in that day and you know, we're doing this for immigration. So maybe you're not a big part of the ceremony or maybe the parents don't know and you're not, you know, you're just the best man. Now, how does that feel? Best man with a good wink. Just a, exactly. A best man with a good wink. They How say like, I that? do, I do. And then he's just mouthing, I do. Uh-huh. I do right. Too. <laughs> I do too. So, so we talk about that. We'll also think about things like, do we want to do a power of attorney? Which means that one person, whether you're married or not, could have access to making financial decisions, cashing checks, things like that. Do we want to have a joint bank account? Do we want to um, do a healthcare proxy so that that third person who's not married to either of them maybe still tied still, in, he's still tied in to visit in the hospital. Um, think about, do we want to do a will? If we want to buy real estate, we'll think about, okay, um, how are people going to do that? Are we going to be buying in co-equal shares? Um, or is it going to be in the 
you know, proportions to contribution. And similarly, as with any couple, I think it's really valuable if you're living together to think about how do we split this? Do we split um, 50-50 our rent? Or do we think about it, especially if your incomes are not very similar in proportion? Do we each pay 20% of our rent toward household ex- or 20% of our income toward household expenses mm-hmm. and rent? Or, you know, is that feeling fair? So we'll talk about those kinds of things. Um, and if there's kids involved, that's a whole other layer. Yeah, I mean, that's just... That, that's a whole other layer. Um, and we can do a co-parenting agreement between um, three parents. But ultimately, in New York State, we only have two legal parents. Mm. You know, we, we have to choose. So there'll be usually the biological mom. And then maybe it's the guy who gave the sperm or the woman who's yeah. married to mom at the time of birth or the man who's, you know, whoever's married to the person at the time of birth is one way to establish a legal parentage claim or somebody who gave um, a biological connection, a sperm or an egg um, are two different ways. And so we might structure it in some way like that so that, okay, you at least have some biological claim. You're not, you're giving your sperm, but you're not giving up your rights, but then you'll be married to her. So that's a legal tie and your name can be on the birth certificate. So this is some way that maybe later on, if we can have three third parent adoption Mm -hmm. in New York state that we might be able to do that. We've in other States, third parent adoption has already been, uh, created so that like, there are uh, legal like parents where? in Massachusetts, in California, in Alaska, and Texas, which is embarrassing. How do they have it? How does tax? Yeah. Um, and what that where that comes in are situations that look like either a step parent yeah. who's getting the full rights of a parent, um, or as um, a lesbian couple and a man who's giving his sperm but not relinquishing his rights. You know, Texas makes that law and they go like, they had no idea it was going to help like LGBT people. And they're like, oh, God damn it. You know? Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, but it seems like there's tricks. Like there's some tricks that can be employed now, but eventually, you know, something like third parent adoption and, and such has got to change. In the, in the famous dissent with, you know, of last year, it's like, you know, one of the concerns was, I say with air quotes was, you know, what now there's going to be like group marriages. And my, my response to that is like, yeah, so what, uh, but what do you think that's something that is in the semi near future? Or is that something that would be legally too confusing? Or what, what do you think the future, the next step in the marriage fights would be? I think that we're going to see, I think we will see some sort of formalized family partnership between um, three people or four people. Mm. I think, and then the five, the five groups are going to then feel left. They're going to be like, yeah, right. right. Quad privilege. You know, it's uh, we right. <laughs> That's the issue for 30 years from now. It's quad yeah. privilege. Um, but, but I think, I think we will see these kinds of things happening, but I think we'll see them being unbundled from marriage, marriage, which has this Judeo Christian background that we, you know, we do marriages in churches and synagogues. And I think we'll use a different word mm-hmm. for it. I could, I could think that will be a much easier sell. Um, and having, I think domestic partnership is incredibly valuable. And so I'm an advocate for us now that we have same sex marriage, not abandoning domestic partnership because mm-hmm. it's actually really useful. I think it's useful right now for couples to have the option because with domestic partnership, you're often not sharing your finances. It diff- the definition of domestic partnership differs by every city and every state, which is also confusing. Yeah. But if we could have some more standardized domestic partnership policy, 
that could be a way that people could affirmatively choose and be more intentional with marriage. They have this in some Can you be countries. married and domestically partnered with... Can you be married to one person? No. Domestic? No. no okay. they, yeah, generally, that's one of the requirements is that you attest that you don't have that kind of family union with somebody else. People sometimes do that anyway and try, you know, but generally, you need to pick a person. And um, I think that we'll see people you know, moving more into that domestic partnership model, because I think it's very valuable, even if it's just that one minute decision at the city hall, do we want to be domestic partners and share our health insurance, but not share our finances? Or do we want to actually get into all of the meanings of marriage, which besides the thing I mentioned, things I mentioned, which are the big ones also includes, it may have big implications on your taxes. Um, even if you file separately, you may have to file married filing separately. Um, and, lots of other small things like you can be buried next to each other in a military mm-hmm. cemetery. You don't have to testify against each other in court. You know, it's just on and on and on. Um, the has, mob just gets married to each other in one big, big polyamorous one way. Big, big poly- like, yeah, totally. <laughs> like, I, don't have, I don't have to testify against him. Tony's my boy yeah, and, exactly. and kind of my husband. Right, right. I'm not queer, but he's my husband, you know, I like that. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll see that. That'll be uh, coming out on You're HBO get- and, a while you'll get like weird <laughs> you'll just get like advocates you didn't expect to have yeah totally <laughs> that happens um so i think i think we'll probably see people maybe moving more into that domestic partnership model and i'd be excited about that also because i think if we had you know domestic partnership that was not related to marriage that would also invite and welcome people to be able to create families not based on sex mm. because ultimately it doesn't matter whether you're having sex or not if the two of you want to create a life together maybe you want to co-parent a child or you want to buy a house it doesn't matter if you're sisters if you're best friends if i want to do this with my gay best friend um rather than running out and marrying some guy i've dated for three months which has been our previous model for women yeah. who are 40 and want to have a baby um I think that there's perfectly valid ways to create family that also could be getting that kind of privilege of getting some kind of legal status. And what I'd like about that is that then it could be, you know, three people are, are creating a domestic partnership. It doesn't matter whether they're having sex. It's none of the, the, the state's business because I'd like to get the state out of the business of deciding whether your sexual relationship warrants you getting tax benefits. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's any of the state's business. I think you have the freedom to create your family the way that you want to create it. So... If my uncle and my sister and I want to buy a house, we should be able to do that. If we want to share our finances and share taxes, fine. If I want to share my finances with my sister and my elderly mother, we should be able to create some sort of partnership if that's what we want to do, if that's the best thing for us. And so I'd like to open that up to give people more freedom. And then if we have a three-person domestic partnership structure and the three people who are getting into it happen to be three people who are in love and also want to do a big commitment ceremony wedding, great. You know, But I would like to see a bit more of of that and I think we would maybe get less pushback because there's marriage is so triggering for people because it's got such weight yeah. culturally and historically. But the, at the same time you still want to set up a thing that like a system that can't be gained because it's like in the government's best interest for everyone to technically like remain single, right? So they don't want like groups of people to like jointly file taxes. Well, actually, the government wants people to get married and has had incentives for marriage for many years because of that social welfare state of two thing. Okay. okay. They they feel safer. The government would like for, for instance, women who might get pregnant to have a spouse because if the woman has has a spouse and she gets pregnant, then that person is going to be in charge of paying the child support. Um 
you know, and even now when a woman applies for public assistance welfare, they're going to be like, who fathered that baby? Because we're going to go find him and he's going to pay us back for the welfare. So the state would like to pay as little in, in public benefits as possible. And one way they do that is that they say, okay, if these two people are partnered up, if something happens to one of them, the other one will pay for it. Okay. Um, so that's worked pretty well for the state. Um, and, yeah. and, and actually it's been a problem sometimes because in welfare policy in the 90s, um, there were these welfare incentives, like marriage incentives, um, which was completely ridiculous. It's like we're spending our tax dollars on billboards for like wedding rings or a pamphlet when you, a woman goes into the welfare office and says, I need money to be able to support myself and my child. And they say, well, have you thought about getting married? Yeah. I mean, which uh. I think is the government being a pimp to poor women. Go in, go get into a sexual relationship to pay for your basic food um, and rent so that, you know, you can provide for your kids. If, and I, I think that's pimping. Mm. I think, I think, you know, in that example, sex work should be legal, but pimping should not be pimping being exploitation. Well, right, and I think if someone's getting into a sexual relationship for money, it should be their own choice and not because the government decided that they're going to be too cheap to pay public benefits because we'd rather pay for the military. My opinion. Fair enough. Let's take a brief break to do the impersonal Patreon. Thank you. Roll call. Yes. Okay, folks. I was thinking of renaming this portion to uh, the Fan Whore Appreciation Moment sponsored by Pepsi. Pepsi's not a sponsor, although I would love for them to be, but I also do genuinely love Pepsi. Um, this is the part of the show where I like to thank everyone who supports independent content creators like myself on Patreon specifically people who support the man whore podcast on patreon uh patreon if you don't know is kind of like a monthly fan club subscription you pledge a certain dollar amount you get different cool rewards and the money goes straight to me the creator uh and like i announced earlier in the show uh, i have uh, launched a new goal Actually, several new goals. I'm going to announce another one next week. But one of them is that if we hit $500 a month, I will produce an additional Man Whore podcast episode every month that is available to all of my patrons, no matter how big or small their pledge is. Hopefully, that will encourage many of you to go throw down just $1. Like I said, if every single listener throws down just $1, I'm a professional podcaster and comedian, and I don't got to do anything else for work. I just get to make things for you but in the meantime i want to thank uh the dozens of people who are already supporting me there so right now thank you to jennifer c sb lance s madeline b jazz o jeff c dave k justin c ramon f both of the sarahs s and b prickly peach lawrence b holly f greg a andrew r megan s ed b anna super slut Gregory Y from the Bowery Boys podcast, Chris with a K, hey, thanks for the raise, Sean N, Chris W, Toby T, Alex S, Lauren M, Emily S, Mark G, Kyle R, Scott G, Frank D, Jackie S, Rachel O, Doug R, Millie W, Michael P, Blake B, Danielle G, Stuart A, Jessica K, and we're almost there, Brian W, Julia F, Danielle D, P, Ashley C, Jeff Z, Thanks for the bagel, Raphael R, Derek E, thanks for the undies, Catherine B, Lindsay C, feel better soon, Anthony G, the very nude Chuck G, Todd B, Zilla T, Derek N, Johnny S, TQ, Dervla, Owen S, Dave P, Scott B, Dylan C, Alfredo A, CJK, oh man, so many names, Steve Dean, Daisy R, Julian D, and Jacob S. 
we made it. <laughs> and you too can join dozens of fan whores by supporting the Man Whore Podcast on Patreon. You can pledge as little as a dollar per month, and you can alter your pledge at any time. To do so, go to manwhorepod.com and click the Patreon banner on the side. Or you can find the Nifty Patreon app, and you can find me on there. That is Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. But for now, back to Diana Adams. Uh, are you cool talking about Open Love and Why? Sure. So you were one of the founders, right? Yes, Open I was Love? one of the founders of Open Love and Why. We, we've um, had Leon on the show uh, a yeah. while back, so yeah, um, Open Love and Why is one of the is the biggest, I guess, right? Uh, poly meetup group in uh, in New York. Yes, and I um, I started Poly Cocktails, and now Poly Cocktails is in cities around the country. Um, it's pretty amazing, um, and I really appreciated that because that was a community building space it's not a cruising space it's not a play party it's nothing like that it was just a space for people to be able to get together um and meet other people who are polyamorous and um we always had hosts who would be available if people you know are new to poly and they have questions we're poly and have kids and we'd say oh go talk to this person over here um and it's just amazing what the interest i mean it's skyrocketed the space is always too crowded we're always looking for a bigger space because we'll get hundreds of new people um because it's like the only game in town. It's like if you're interested in poly, like that's the play. I mean, poly cocktails is the first thing people usually right. will recommend. Right. But what right. would you say? Because I know some people like say they, well, eh, this chair. Uh, <laughs> some people do feel like sometimes it can be a little cruisy, though. Have you ever yes. have felt that way? It, it can be cruisy. Um, and I think that that can be an okay thing. We've talked about how it can be beneficial maybe to have a separate um some people in other cities do things like where they have like a wristband of like mm-hmm. whether you're interested in available, like looking for new partners, because we don't want to have any assumptions that just because somebody says they're poly doesn't mean they're available. Right. You know, that, that, that I'm, common I'm misconception, poly, but I'm booked, you know, poly, but booked. <laughs> yeah. My, my poly dance card. I'm poly saturated, poly saturated. Great term. Great yeah, term. So, you know, because I'm poly and because I'm open about it, um, I get come ons online like every single day, like as if because I'm poly, some random guy in Detroit, I'm going to like fly to Detroit and have sex right. with him. I mean, it's I mean, to be ludicrous. fair, even if you weren't poly, he's a, he's a guy in Detroit who, and you're a woman on the Internet. He assumes you're going to fly to Detroit totally, and have sex with him. Totally. Be like, hey, I noticed that you're poly. Great. I, I know I'm this. having this bachelor party, you know, <laughs> it's terrible. Um, but yeah, we, we, just because people are poly doesn't mean they're interested. So what and done, just cause someone's poly, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about poly automatically meeting slutty. Right. Like I've, I've, right. I've met and gone on dates with people who I thought would have, would be more like interested in like casual sex and they don't do casual sex at all. Right. Yet they're polyamorous. Right. Um, so people yeah. might be in a couple of, long-term dating relationships and that's it yeah. and they're not interested in any anybody new or anything casual only people that they're actually really in relationships with mm-hmm. um they just happen to be in relationships with people who you know two or three people at a time perhaps um so one way that we've managed that trying to keep the space safe at poly cocktail is we have this acronym lovers um and we hand out in, this information and send it out in all the uh all of the invitations that is really about this being a safe space that we don't ha- make any assumptions like leave your assumptions um this is a place to practice open communication and explicit consent before touching people um and that we don't make any assumptions of people's sexual orientation just because a woman's at mm-hmm. Poly cocktails doesn't mean that she's either available to new people nor interested in men. Mm-hmm. So, um, we or interested to, in women or interested yeah. in women, you know, yeah. we don't know. So, um, 
trying to make it keep it a respectful space. And then because we have hosts there, we ask people to come and speak to the hosts if anybody's making them uncomfortable. So, you know, that way, what I try to do is make it a teaching moment. You know, I don't... Rather than an outrage moment. Right. Rather than just being like, we're kicking you out. I mean, there's some behavior, we'll just kick you out. But most of the time, I'll pull somebody aside and be like, Steve, it sounds like you want to meet women. Could I give you some feedback about that? And generally, Steve will be like, please, dear God, help me. This is not working, (laughs) you know? And I'll be like, you know, let's check in. Like, don't assume, you know, don't, don't like barge straight into a conversation that's about your sexuality. Not everybody needs to hear what you're into immediately you know, have some small talk, read the body language. Don't put your hand on her arm. If she's moving away from you, Mm -hmm. you know, basic social skills, kinds of things that people may not have. Um, and then I'll refer them to some workshops that where they can get some of those skills. Are there people skill workshops? Christ, I need that. Uh, where (laughs) there there actually really are, um, they're not called people skills, but sort of emotional and social skills about things like consent, especially for being in spaces that are more sexy or cuddly. Um, cuddle party is really amazing at that kind of thing. Um, and there are lots of other things like that. So there's plenty of, you know, there's plenty of places people can go to. And I think actually people who have, um, people who have, uh, social skills challenges can sometimes benefit from some of these skills in communities like polyamorous communities, because in poly communities, you want to be really explicit about things like consent and boundaries. And for people who have trouble reading those kinds of cues, this can actually be really good for them. You know, because it's like, okay, I actually ask you if I could put my arm around you. I don't have to try to read and guess and, and figure out based on your body language, which I'm not good at. I'm a social idiot. Like I, cause I had like no friends growing up, so I don't have to go into that, but that's why I didn't really develop, um, certain skills. So the, the first play party I went to was Hacienda and that's like the only party I really go to because it's the first thing, because there's so, it was so consent heavy. I also like that it was very like gender neutral on all the things. And so I was like, oh, this is great. I just, I, I ask if I want to put, or she's got to ask me if she can put her hand on my thighs like this. I can, I can handle that when we're like, right. I get explicitly asking. Then when they started giving out these bracelets, I was like, okay, like I can, like that stuff is uh, very helpful for me. Yeah. Who like, I normally, if I'm like at a normal party or at a bar, like I'm just confused about like how people interact. Um, but like at a fucking orgy that has like strict consent rules, I'm like, oh, I can, I understand this. It actually makes you know? sense. And I think that kind of more explicit verbal consent is just helpful in general. And then I think um, I teach uh, at, at colleges about consent and communication and, and bystander intervention to prevent sexual assault. Um, and I'm really passionate about that. And I think that a lot of the lessons from the polyamorous community and the kinky community where there's a lot of explicit communication can be really, really helpful. <laughs> Um, because obviously, um, it's not working out yeah. right now among <laughs> college students. And there's a lot of gray areas, a lot of feelings of being violated and, and colleges are really struggling with how to handle that. You know, you always want to believe the person who feels victimized. And at the same time, what's the, you know, are we going to be kicking people out of school because somebody felt violated? If we're not sure if it was rape. I mean, it's incredibly complicated. Schools across the country are grappling with this really intensely right now. And what do you I, think they, they should be doing in, in regards to that, in, I, in regards to respecting due process and also respecting the victim or the alleged victim? I'm advocating for more of a transformative justice model, which moves away from this traditional, really masculine, aggressive model of litigation Mm -hmm. that we apply to these situations. And that kind of old-fashioned model is um, we each line up, we tell our story, and there's a winner and a loser. One person's wrong, right? Either he's a rapist or she's a liar. That's the traditional model. And I think that oftentimes situations are much more nuanced than that and that we can acknowledge that maybe – we don't need to completely cast this guy off the island 
you know, and, and from society. And it may actually be beneficial for him to learn, you know, to have this be a teaching moment. What will he do to learn? Um, I think that having an opportunity for somebody who's been victimized to directly confront in a facilitated way and talk about that, that experience can actually be tremendously impactful on helping the person who may have done something that was violating to really feel that to feel empathy for that and to feel a sense of responsibility. And in that kind of process, it can be, what does the victim need to feel safe? Does she not need to see this person? Does he or she not need to, um, you know, need, need extra support in some way? What can we do for them? Um, and then on the, on the other hand, it would be the person who may have um, f- been perceived as the abuser. What do we need to do to give them the tools and the resources to give them a consent boot camp or do we need to give do they need some counseling what happened here um and i think those kinds of processes are actually much more effective often and then of course you have situations like well yeah you have rock turner yeah you have violent stuff is is treat gets treated like that way if if somebody is doing something to somebody who's unconscious then they deserve to get kicked out of school and have a you know the scarlet letter on their back for the rest of their lives but for the many situations where it's much more of a gray area, if both people were inebriated, if it's unclear about consent, things like that. They're just I a think bunch of awkward 20-year-olds who don't want to like, you know, communicate. Right. And, yeah. and so there's a lot of those situations. And I think those could be – we need a different word besides rape. We need mm-hmm. to be able to acknowledge, okay, this over here, this was rape. and But there's other categories between healthy consensual sex and rape. And I think we need to figure out a vocabulary for talking about – those difficult situations as well. Yeah. And, and so I think there does need to be some sort of like, okay, you spanked someone's, you gave somebody a spank on the butt at a party when somebody else was spanking them and you should have asked for consent. There right. needs to be some word that separates that from the unconscious woman behind a dumpster. I was you know? reading yesterday, um, just and not to prepare for this, just I happened to see it and I was like, I, this is interesting, was that there's some group, I think it's called to correct me, ALS, AIS, something like some legal group society, and they're they're meeting right now in New York to discuss uh, changing the criminal code to like update it for rape, uh, and talking about what the the threshold and uh, for consent should be. Should it be affirmative consent? Like, should it be no means no? Uh, they they were talking about a phrase cultural cons- uh, sorry contextual consent. Mm, was um, that AVP maybe? That could be the, that. Yeah, anti-violence project. No, 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 it wasn't um it was like a legal society. It was like I guess these guys they like or th- this group they help form criminal codes and a lot of states will pluck from what they define or something like that. Uh, it was in Vice yesterday. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm not actually familiar with which organization that is, yeah. but I would love to know and I I do I work with generally with groups uh, like that. And my associate attorney at my firm, Andy Eisenson, has written a lot about affirmative consent. What do you think the legal, because I think my, my I'm not an expert, my opinion on, it doesn't matter because I'm some comedian with a fuck show. Is, my opinion was that I think affirmative consent is the threshold, like is a threshold for good sex. Like I think that's a great way to have good sex. I don't know if that's what the legal threshold should be. What do you think the legal threshold for consent for sexual assault should be? I think that it's really, really tricky. I generally think that affirmative consent um, is um, is the gold standard, mm-hmm. um, and that then there are sort of degrees from there of you know you should have recognized that the person didn't not only didn't say yes but was giving you body language and other signals that maybe either they were too intoxicated or that they were not enjoying what was happening. Um, 
you know, and then there's into the, you know, of course, if somebody has said no or is struggling, yeah. obviously that's a forcible act. Um, but I think that, I think there is a place for that gray area of you should have read the body language, you know, you should, you know, contextual, um, consent. contextual yeah. consent. Yeah. I think that we need to leave some, some gray area because I don't think that we can create a criminal code that says you need to have explicitly said yes every time because mm-hmm. we do need to have that kind of context for who, who are these two people? What was happening? We need to hear the story. Um, we need to hear the story from both of them, how they feel about it, how the person who feels victimized feels about it and experienced it. Um, I think all those things are really relevant. Right. Um, because in any given situation, um, I think there are those details, um, that, that may not be universal. Um, and I think that also, you know, for me as a 37 year old woman, I am much more able to express myself than I was at 18 years old. And I think we need to also, um, think about the level of, of power, the age, the maturity of the people who are involved and their ability to express themselves. That's also part of the context, I think. But I think it's really, really difficult. My best means of addressing sexual assault on college campuses, um, because there's no perfect solution. My best means is by, um, trying to teach and spread that affirmative consent model. Um, Mm -hmm. and that verbal communication is not, um, ruining the moment. There's this idea that like, I think movies and culture give us actually really bad lessons um, of sort of like, you're supposed to just know, you know, and then, and then you lean in and, and you know, you have this incredible connection. But a lot of times when people do that, the other person is not on the same page. They had no idea they were in the middle of a romantic comedy moment. Um, And, and a lot of movies, like even um, like say anything, which was my incredibly romantic Mm -hmm. movie, my favorite when I was, you know, at slumber parties, um, it's like he's outside of her house with the boombox, and she, I think she's already said she's not interested. You know, in, in, in movies, being like, no, you said you're not interested, but I'm just going to like show up outside your house in the middle of the night. Um, that's romantic. In real life, that's stalking. You know? <laughs> and so we get these really bad lessons where it's like, just push, you know, show her that you're persistent. Persistence is actually creepy in real life often. Um, so those kinds of things of, of actually being able to talk about things and is this okay? And actually, I think given how many women have experienced either sexual assault or at least creepy and violating and invasive behavior, for many women, it actually feels really good and feels makes them feel more comfortable um, being like, is it okay if I do this? I'd really like to kiss you. Yeah. Um, is actually putting a lot of women at ease. Like, okay, great. He's not about to pounce on me. And he actually respects me. Um, Hot tip to any of the guys listening. Like I know I've mentioned like what Hacienda's rules are with, you know, even just a shoulder touch. I've applied that like at a bar or on a Tinder date and it's, it's, it's almost novel to them. They really, yeah, it's like, it's calming. It actually works. Like it, it doesn't kill the moment. If anything, it, it's, it really enhances. It's going to help you out. Like try it guys. Yeah, absolutely yeah. try it. I think th- I think most women that I experience really like that. Right. Um and you know, I think that's powerful. And then I think also bystander intervention is really also a key. What what now? Bystander intervention. And that's our term okay. for when somebody else has an opportunity. It's like that see something, say something mm-hmm. kind of thing, but apply to things like sexual assault. Um if you, you know, if you're the bartender and you're seeing a guy getting a drink for a woman who looks like she's had too much. If you're the the bouncer and they're leaving the club together, if you're her friend, you know, um, and the cab driver, there's many, many people often along the line who could have said something 
yeah. who could have been like, are you okay? Do you know this guy? Um, do you need, do you need some water? Do you need to go home? Maybe you don't need another drink. And maybe she's going to be annoyed with them for saying that. But I have been that person for a long time. And once in a while, the bystander, or the I've been person? the bystander. Okay. I've been the bystander who intervenes a lot. And I'm the person who's the bossy feminist who will go up to a <laughs> random woman at a party and be like, Hey, do you know him? I, under, I understand why uh, <laughs> I understand why you say you get hate mail because like if you're the bossy feminist, man, the internet hates bossy feminists. Oh, the internet oh, hates man. bossy feminists. For sure, for sure. <laughs> and, you know, rapey guys at bars really don't like me either because if she says, no, I don't really know this guy who... Fucking kill Joy, you know, man. Yeah. I'm just trying to get my rape on. Like, why she got to ruin it? Yeah, Ugh. just 20 minutes of action. Like <laughs> Black Turner's dad said. Ugh. Uh, Ugh. Yeah. So... So yeah, it actually feels really good to do that. And even in the times when the woman's like, no, I'm okay. I think it helps them realize that like, hey, maybe the situation I'm in doesn't look so great. You know, am I really okay? Am I really consenting right now? Yeah. Um, so I think all of us looking out for each other a bit more, you know, being aware of like, if you're going to have a big night at a party, having a friend that you go with that you check in with before you leave. Um, Just having compassion for for strangers. I mean, it's not even for sexual assault. You see the person at the party who just looks depressed as fuck. Yeah, you know, you just go absolutely. say, hey, you all right? What's going on? I'm Billy. I would never say that because I'm shy at any party, so I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm usually the person in the corner. Um, it's fine. but Totally. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I also, if, if people seem like they may be having a drug issue, yeah. you know, I mean, I was at a, a burner festival and there was a guy, he, had, he was like tripping and had mud in his mouth, you know? And I was like, I might get my finger bitten off, but like, I don't want this guy to be choking in the mud here. I can't just keep dancing sure. while there's this guy okay. writhing in the mud, you know? Like, you go to parties and you see crazy things. And so I went over and was like, repeat after me, I'm not going to bite her. <laughs> and uh, he scooped the mud out of his mouth, uh, <laughs> gave him some water. You know, I'm the party mom. So I'm always, I'm always checking in on people, like giving people, yeah, I give out water and I like check in on whether people are doing okay. Yeah. And that actually makes me feel good. I only want to be in spaces where people are like that with each other. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you told, you told me that you uh, get hate mail. You get a lot of flack. I do. Um, I get a lot For of the work you do. And, and you're not even one of the, you're not even doing the work like stopping the rapist raping uh, necessarily. You're, you're just trying to help people who love each other uh, legally and you get pushback. Right. right. I get a lot of pushback. Wh- why? <laughs> Wait, who's, who's yelling at you? Well, um, because I did quite a bit of media as a polyamorous person mm-hmm. and also, and, and you know, if you Google polyamorous, sometimes you see pictures of me, which is very strange. Um, and the, like the, post, a, the poster lady the poster for, for, for polyamory. Um, and also combined with that, I'm advocating um, for people to be able to create polyamorous families and I'm serving a lot of people and I think that I'm threatening because I'm a well-educated, um, articulate oh. attorney oh. who is like, oh. may actually be dangerous. Oh, know? So I feel, yeah, it's scary. So I actually, t- I take it as a compliment. Um, there was this Christian right press that said I was like one of the most dangerous people in America. That's badass. I was actually really, really flattered. Hang that up. Yeah, totally. I had, I had, I, it was almost like it was an onion article that was like from my publicist or something. Right. Right? It was like totally, uh, it was like along with John Stewart and Joe Biden and like, that's Rachel great Maddow. company to keep. Yeah. You're like, thank this you. Is an incredibly dangerous person because she's, you know, letting thousands of people know that they have the option to create families. And do you get John's number now? Like, can you do that? I it's wish. Like, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, Oh, this is, this is the best, uh, hateful article I've ever seen. But then of course people in the comments, Called for a pray-in for my suicide. Okay, just think about that. People, like, what kind of Christian, I grew up Christian, yeah. what kind of Christian is praying for some stranger 
to commit suicide. It's hey, bizarre. Todd, I'm, I'm, I'm just sorry to interrupt you. There, I okay. So this this happened last week's episode, which is of many weeks ago, because I don't know when this comes out yet. But I had I put out <clears throat> nonchalantly, "Hey guys, remember to go vote." Uh, I'm assuming you're all voting for Hillary because I can't imagine you listen to some slutty show and are voting for Trump. But like, hey, if you are voting for Trump, email me because you're probably a unique individual. That episode's out for four hours. I get an email from a dude in Arkansas, like this 24 year old wow. guy. He's voting for Trump. He's um, anti choice. Loves my sh- loves my show. Wow. And uh, odd and, and, combo. Yeah, and and his reasons have just been insane. So hey, Todd, you hear me? This is your people. Before you tell me that your people are like you are the strongest ones when it comes to sex uh, values and communication and sex education. These are your people. Prayings for a suicide. Of a lady who's just trying to help uh, some people love each yeah, other better. Yeah. Just letting you know, Todd. That's all you. Yeah. Sorry. On your on your team. Back to uh, back to your back to your praying for suicide. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So I, I you know I've seen that kind of thing, but also people just feeling like advocating for this is incredibly threatening to the traditional family structure, and like it's going to ruin their family. It's going to try to ruin their family. I try to address those kinds of claims with a fierce empathy. Um, and empathy is really hard to have when people are saying things that are calling for my own violence, uh, you know, calling for something terrible to happen to me, um, or criticizing me. But I try to just have the empathy that what they're concerned about really are the same things I'm concerned about. Maybe are the children going to be okay? Are our families going to be okay? That those are my values and priorities too. And I think that people just may have a more, much more limited view of what that means, what that looks like. And I think people are really fearing change. We're seeing a tremendous amount of change in our society. Um, and I think this is this Trump effect uh, we're seeing right now, where there's this rise in hate crimes and even anti-Semitism. I mean, anti-Semitism is retro. Like, yeah, really? There, there that's are still, a throwback. There are still people who are anti-Jews. Like, that's your issue? Right, really? I, I can't even believe that. The KKK even accepts Jews now. I believe it. I yeah. mean, it's it's absolutely bizarre. I can't I can't understand where it's coming from sometimes, but I think there's a lot of people who have fear. A lot of underneath all of that anger and that hate is really just fear and insecurity about what's happening. People who just can't wrap their heads around the changes. Um, so, you but know, love wins. But love wins. Love wins. And I think that a lot of those values are actually um, people. People have the right. To, to create their families in those kinds of ways, but let me have the right to create my family in my own kind of way and support other people in doing the same way. And you're, and you're doing amazing work. Thank you so much. I and, appreciate and, that. And thank you for uh, coming on the podcast. Uh, if people want to ask you questions or need your help or want to just follow the work that you're doing, where can they find you? Thank you. Um, I'm dianaadamslaw.net online, and that's a place where you can find my public Facebook and my Twitter and my monthly mailing list where I talk about talks that we're doing, many of them free and open to the public. Um, and on Twitter, I'm at Diana Adams ESQ. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Feel uh, free to say goodbye to everybody. Awesome. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Um, and I support your right to create family the way you want to. And if you need help with that, let me know. Awesome. I love that we got to start the year with a kick-ass episode in Diana Adams. Uh, thank you so much to her for for making the time to let me come over and record. Uh, again, dianaadamslaw.net uh, to stay up to date with what she's up to. It's very funny. I said, so why dianaadamslaw.net? And 
She goes, I want dianaadams.com or dianaadamslaw.com, but there's a guy squatting on the website and she tried to buy it from him. And she says, and he said, uh, no, I think you're going to be a big deal. So I want more money. Like she offered him 10 grand for the website and he's like, Nah, I think you're gonna be a bigger deal. So I, I think you're gonna be. I think you're gonna make more money. So I want more. And she's like, "Hey, thanks for believing in me, but I think you're wrong. But hey, let's hope that that crazy mean man squatting on a domain name is right. I would love to see her um, achieve all the things that she wants." <laughs> Uh, me, you can find me on Twitter at the Billy Persida. Uh, say hello. Use the hashtag Manwhore Podcast. Let me know what you thought about the show. And if you want to say something privately, shoot me an email at manwhorepod at gmail.com. Join the conversation with your fellow fan whores on the Manwhore Podcast subreddit. There are individual comment threads for every episode. I also post uh, links to articles I'm quoted in and pictures and i make announcements and you can also make posts yourself where i love to interact with you so for all you redditors that's r slash man podcast last but not least you can become an official fan whore for just a dollar a month on patreon it's because of my patrons that i was able to quit my day job and i would love to be able to quit all the other things too just to make more content for you Make a pledge today by going to patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. Next week, I'll be having on a uh, a former fan whore turned sexual partner. We've got Claire on the podcast next week. Very fun times. But until we get to her, stay slutty. 